Hello everyone, and welcome to the Quorum Podcast. This is where academic medicine meets remote, austere, and resource-limited areas. So welcome everyone for today's podcast session at Quorum. Today's topic is back to the cardiovascular emergencies, and today we will talk about pulmonary embolism discuss uh, the pathophysiology background, and I will show you or tell you my latest patient with PE, the outcome, and also mention some tips and tricks how to evaluate a PE at the field in Ulster conditions and how to handle it. Okay, so pulmonary embolism, um, you all well know what is the pathophysiology, what is happening. So there's a thrombus or an emboli or more thrombus emboli within the pulmonary arterial arch. And basically, these clots are closing an occlusion, total or subtotal occlusion in the main branch or in the side branches. If the patient is lucky, it's not a total or subtotal occlusion of a large branch, rather um, the affected arteries are the distal uh, smaller arteries. The survival outcome is better uh, if it's if it's a smaller PE. You all well know this. Uh, the background is uh, a lot. So it's uh, a big slice of the internal medicine handbook. It could be an impaired hemostasis. It could be a thrombophilia when the blood has a tendency to clot uh, earlier than usual. It could be um, an immobilized patient after a fracture or after an OP. It could be uh, oncology patients who have a tendency to have thromboembolic complications. It could be a heart infarct. It could be COVID. So it's extremely large range of pathophysiology behind. And PE is really unfortunately common. Uh, and uh, more uh, PE are presented than detected. So the smaller ones in uh, the side branches, if there's no hemodynamic compliance, then sometimes they are unrecognized. And if a patient has a CT scan, a chest CT later on for any reason or for COVID, um, whatever reason, sometimes, quite often, uh, the radiologist describes that there is sign of chronic PE in the little side branches in the pulmonary arch. So in the acute uh, scenario, when the PE is uh, happening, uh, most of the patient, uh, patients have uh, dyspnea. Some of them have hemophthesis. Hemophthesis is written in the books uh, in clinics. It's not that uh, frequent as a leading symptom. Dyspnea, um, tachycardia, some chest discomfort or chest pain, chest sensation. These three are the major leading clinical symptoms. Most of the patients are, at one point, they reach the cardiology department. A quick ultrasound uh, could be a point of care. It could be a fast or focused ultrasound um, shows some kind of uh, right uh, heart failure or right heart dysfunction, that's the better word. Um, Okay, uh, so the clinical um, symptoms and signs 
are quite easy to recognize. And with your physical exam, with blood pressure measurement, saturation, and if you have an ECG on hand or portable device or a device attachable for your mobile, you could get tons of information to rule in or to rule out the patient as a possible PE. Let me discuss my recent patient who is uh, a 62 years old gentleman. He works as a mechanicer and as an engineer and, and he works quite a lot at the field, so some physical work as well. He's fit and well. He takes an ACE inhibitor to treat his mild hypertension. The story is uh, going back to February, so a couple of months ago, uh, when he started to experience uh, quite bad fatigue at the end of the day. So he experienced that he can't uh, handle the, the, the amount of physical work as he used to do it before. He thought it's just um, some uh, spring tiredness or whatever it could be. So he didn't deal to it a lot. And after a couple of weeks, it got even worse, severe tiredness, fatigue during the day. So he just uh, went to the GP and uh, a blood sample um, was taken. And the result showed uh, hypo cytor anemia which was not uh, really severe but there was an anemia and some slightly elevated liver enzymes that was all and um, the gp was quite thorough and uh, he also noted that he has some change uh, in the pattern of his stool so somehow um the diagnosis uh, took a step towards the gastrointestinal tract and he was uh, offered um, a gastric um, ultrasound. So he had an ultrasound uh, and on the ultrasound, unfortunately, very alarming results came. So he had some uh, strange tissue uh, at the site of gastric uh, system on, at the uh, duodenal part so something was unfortunately really suggestive of um, a tissue which is which just does not belong there. So it could be a cancer. And uh, really quickly, uh, within a week, a CT scan was organized, which showed uh, the sad diagnosis that this is um, a gastric cancer staging uh, was prepared and uh, they were waiting for other results from he had also a gastroscopy some uh, tissue sample histology whatever uh, and in the end unfortunately was uh, in in operal uh, uh, stage because he also had some metastasis in lymph nodes all over the chest so it just came out of the blue and it was really shocking for for him and for the whole family this this was the the case the beginning of the case. Uh, in general, he was in a good uh, still in a good physical condition, and uh, he was resting at home. Uh, he was offered um, an adjuvant uh, chemotherapy to see uh, that better after the chemotherapy, some surgery, palliative surgery, could be performed. 
And one uh, day in the morning, he, he woke up with a really severe uh, dyspnea. Um, the uh, ambulance took him to the nearest hospital and uh, the emergency department diagnosed the pulmonary embolism, uh, subtotal occlusion. Um, so in, in, the, in the left main branch of the pulmonary uh, artery, he was still hemodynamically stable, and so he he was hospitalized. And there was a hard decision whether to um, do a complete uh, thrombolysis or uh, just to uh, put him on uh, heparins and um, hope that some uh, part of this uh, thrombus could dissolve. Uh, so I haven't mentioned that, of course, he had some gastrointestinal bleeding, he had some uh, black stool, uh, those tissue parts, those cancer parts uh, were a bit uh, bleeding within the gastric part. So an, an onco team uh, decided not to give the thrombolysis and, uh, because of the severe risk of a severe bleeding. In the gastric, so he was given um, heparin and really closely observed, and uh, really fortunately he um, survived this large uh, pulmonary embolism. Later on, he also suffered um, a COVID infection. He obtained it during um, the hospitalization, and uh, he was really uh, vulnerable mm, to obtain a COVID. Um, he had mild symptoms with the COVID as well. He, he were vaccinated uh, three times with the mRNA vaccine. And unfortunately, a couple of weeks later, um, he died. So um, after the pulmonary embolism, his uh, status deteriorated a lot. And uh, this really aggressive gastric ulcer just took over him. So um, this was my last PE case, uh, but I'm pretty sure that those who are, you guys are working at emergency departments, cardiology departments in the ambulance, daily many patients could uh, come with, with some signs of PE. And again, I'm saying that PE, pulmonary embolism, is underdiagnosed. So more cases are happening than um, the CT scans are uh, recording and of course, COVID walks uh, hand in hand with pulmonary embolism, as we've just seen during the pandemic. And the winter is coming. Um, some upwaves in COVID could come. And also um, the influenza viruses are attacking. So um, I assume that there would be um, a bit of increase in PE as well. Okay, let me discuss what are those clinical uh, points your clinical findings that could help you to assume to suggest that this is a PE. So if you are in the field in a remote condition, uh, without the help of a CD scan, without the help of an ultrasound, you might have a pocket ultrasound with you. It's not so easy to evaluate the right ventricle. That's always a bit tricky. It's not a good view with the ultrasound. So if you are just at the field bare hands what do you have to rule in or rule out PE of course the symptoms and then we have some very well established score systems to use in the emergency situations one is the Welsh Wells score and the other is the Geneva score system to evaluate um, the risk of a pulmonary embolism so these are old uh, 
generated scores. So it's good to remember that they are not tailored individually to the patient. So, and uh, most of the patients, they, they don't know these score systems. So let you have those inner voices when uh, the score system is not fitting, but uh, you have some hints and uh, the, the score is not matching a high risk for PE, but you still feel, you still suggest that this is PE, then trust yourself. Let me discuss the score systems. So the Wells score system. Uh, if there is clinical sign of a deep vein thrombosis, you have the swollen leg, you have some pain, that's a high score. If the alternative diagnosis is less likely than pulmonary embolism, then that, that scores highly. So it's again, when you are in the field in remote conditions, this, this point would not really be helpful. Then the heart rate, as I just mentioned, I've never seen a patient with PE without tachycardia. So if it's a PE, which is hemodynamically affecting the patient, the patient will be tachycardic. If there's an immobilization or surgery four weeks previous to the acute happening, then that scores. Uh, if there's a previous uh, venous thromboembolism, if there's hemophthesis, I mentioned it uh, in the beginning, that that's not so frequent. And active cancer also gives one point. Uh, the deep vein thrombosis is three points. So cancer is not really weighted in this kind of uh, system. And in my clinical practice, uh, I've also seen that really, really large percentage of patients suffering from active cancer, sometime on their route of treatment and healing, uh, at some point they suffer a PE. The reason behind is that the cancer itself generates a prothrombotic state of the blood and the medications they receive, the chemotherapy, the radiotherapy, they make the patient prone to a thromboembolism. Many, many researchers are uh, going in the background. What is the reason? Are they the, the platelets? Is it the liver? What is happening? Uh, and how to catch this um, increased state of thrombotic state of the blood. Um, so uh, definitely I would give a higher score for active cancer in this score system. And uh, But still the negative predictive value of the VELS score is very good. So if the patient is not scoring four or uh, more, then the possibility of PE is quite low. So if you can just walk through these, and for these you only need a patient to tell you or a relative to tell you what what was going on in the in recently, what is the history, then you can get a really good assumption, really good suggestion, whether it's a PE or not. The other uh, score system is the Geneva one, which is a bit more um, specific and includes more points and a bit more diversified. It includes age, over 65, higher risk, includes a previous deep vein thrombosis or PE, includes a surgery or fracture within one month, includes an active malignant condition, and it gives two points for an active malignant condition. So it rates uh, the, the cancer a bit, uh, weighs a bit more than the VAS score. 
Then the unilateral lower limb pain is also included, hemophthesis then, and it's really fascinating for me that uh, it has heart rate and it has two ranges. So it has one heart rate between 75 to 94, which is uh, within the normal, but it's, it could say that it's high normal heart rate. So definitely not bradycardia or the heart rate is not 60 or below. And it has another point where it says the heart rate is above 95. So it's above 95, patient is tachycardic. It scores more than the range between 75 and 94. Okay, so tachycardia, really high possibility of PE with all the others. And if there's pain on deep palpation or lower limb on unilateral edema, so the complete signs of the deep vein thrombosis, that's the highest score. And if you if your patient score is 11 or more in this one, then that's, that's a high probability PE. So I would suggest that uh, have these score systems with you and do a quick evaluation. And uh, if your uh, clinical suggestions are turning towards PE, then handle it as a PE. If you have a a thrombolytic drug at your hands if you are lucky or your patients are lucky enough to have one in the field and uh, there's a high probability of PE and the patient is hemodynamically unstable then I would suggest to do the thrombolysis in the field in oyster conditions as well because that's the only chance for your patient to survive. I would not thrombolyze someone who is hemodynamically stable if the patient is deteriorating during your observation, I will also say that step forward, step towards the thrombolysis. I hope that um, many of you could make this decision because that, that would mean that you have the drug at hand. It's quite expensive, not really available in ambulance cars, but hopefully at some regions or you have a really well-equipped oyster emergency pack and you can bring a thrombolytic drug and do so today. Uh, we discussed the pathology, we discussed the case, and I just gave you this two-score system, the Wells score and the Geneva score system to, I, I, I wouldn't say to, to learn, but to have, a, have in your pocket and go through it if you have a patient who possibly has a PE. Uh, if the patient is lucky, then it's not a really huge, not a total or subtotal or not affecting the large branches. Uh, most of the patient, uh, by the way, they suffer long-term um, impairment as well if they survive a PE because uh, the right ventricle suffers a lot during the PE. So it could be um, long-term uh, cardiac failure, heart failure. It can also severely damage the lungs if it's an infarcted uh, lung during the pulmonary embolism which happens um, often then uh, pulmonary complications are also cure so once a PE um, happened um, it's, a, it's a multidisciplinary approach after to get uh, to deep deeply dig to the main reason uh, internal medicine cardiology etc to avoid a second PE and um, also, I would like to outline that if you have a patient with an active cancer, 
early uh, think about uh, the thrombo thromboembolic complications because they happen really, really often. And uh, the uh, primary prevention is extremely important in an oncology patient not to have a thromboembolic event. And also thromboembolic events are still underdiagnosed. So these were the take-home messages. Um, so I hope that this podcast today gave you a good summary on PE and how to detect um, uh, quickly in the field. And I wish you all the best and for your patients as well. Keep in track with Coromcast. Uh, talk to you the next time. Bye. This has been a presentation from the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine Foundation. If you would like to earn CPD credit for this podcast, you can join the Council of Members. Being a member of the college gives you free CPD credits, free access to the virtual field guide, and discounts on our e-learning courses. You can join the team on the college website, which is quorum, C-O-R-O-M, quorum.org.